This is Father Patrick Briscoe. And this is Father Bonaventure Chapman. Welcome to Godsplaining. Thanks to all those who support us. If you like the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to Godsplaining wherever you listen to your podcasts. Happy Gaudete Sunday, Father Bonaventure. Oh, happy Gaudete Sunday to you as well. Rejoice, for oh. it is exciting times, liturgically, otherwise. I think, you know, this Sunday is not as rejoiceful as the Lenten one because we're nearing Christmas, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, and you're already right. kind of ramping, like emotionally ramping up, whereas, you know, Laudate Sunday in Christmas time is a nice, I mean, it's in, in Lent is a nice break. And kind right. of and permission to be a little bit kind of moving out of, of penance for just a moment for such a reminder. Whereas this one, I feel like for Americans and maybe Western culture in general, you think, actually, we're pretty good. It's yeah. There's too much Christmas music already. That is kind of ironic, isn't it? That the, the, the Sunday of rejoicing is actually more of a panic Sunday. Yeah. Like people see the liturgical color, which we can debate, you know, what, what, it, what it's called. Um, but people see that particular color. They realize it's the third week of Advent and they think, oh, no. Yes. My shopping is in shop- Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So it's yeah, maybe the the rose-colored uh, vestments mm. are signaling, uh, take this seriously. It's time for you to spend right. inordinate amounts of money right. on I, things that no one wants. I think when I also see the salmon color, I think um, it's time to get all the rest of the Christmas decorations out, you know, to, to really make sure that the home is suitable. So there's a little bit of a sense of urgency behind the the, the preparation that comes in the in the spiritual life, things more directly oriented to the to the feast. As yeah, it were. that's that's right. Um, I'm just gonna say I think it's pink, um, but I'm not a good judge of colors as it is. <laughs> but I was I'm delighted by the uh, the fact that we do get to wear rose or pink or salmon or peptobismol. Yeah, I think color. I've, I've I'm going to go with manly mauve as my new preferred nomenclature. Manly mauve, yeah. Manly yeah. Mauve. I wish I had more words for these kind of colors, but I'm just, I only see them in so few of them. Um, <laughs> I remember in St. Gertrude's, someone, we all wear chasubles in St. Gertrude's at the uh, the priests there, and uh, someone bought a set of, of, of rose uh, colored chasubles. And it was a beautiful gift because then everyone for these two Sundays could be wearing the same color, something. But you only get to wear them for two two Sundays, so it seemed like, oh, but it's it's so fitting with the season like we should mm. just rejoice on this you know but i don't know maybe people like i assume i assume it's a crowd favorite i assume it's a fan favorite for the people to see the priests and what color um what color rose they're going to come out in in or something well it's so striking right you know it's so different from the other liturgical colors and as mm-hmm. you said it's used so rarely that i that i think it does make the impression that we think it does it's a bit like gold you know you see gold occasionally right for for the really super high feasts if they have it but that's always catches my eye as well, like a different kind of different color. Yeah, yeah. But then oftentimes the the rest of the colors are purple, even though it's somewhere in pink and it has this kind of interesting, nice reminder and, and synergy with that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But pink. this episode is not really about liturgical colors or even even for that matter, that much about Advent, although it's although it certainly, oh, certainly has, uh, there, there are certainly important spiritual lessons that can be drawn from it. But we thought for this Advent series, uh, for those of us, for those of you who have been listening to to the series, know, um, we thought for this Advent series we'd be we'd be diving into the Divine Comedy, in particular hitting uh, the full Divine Comedy because so many people just study Inferno. Yeah. So at this point in the series, we're we're here, we're hitting the last part of the Divine Comedy, Paradiso. Yeah. To stop myself from saying Purgatorio. Yes. Because that's not the last. 
part of the Divine Comedy. Well, it's funny that a lot of people, it's almost everyone uses Inferno to describe the Inferno and call the Inferno. But then Purgatory and Paradise are acceptable translations. People don't usually say, maybe this is like an inside group, we mm. say Paradiso and Purgatorio. Um, but often translations have in the front of them uh, parad- Purgatory or Paradise. But you don't really find hell, <laughs> you know, in front of the Inferno That's right. one. That's There's right. something about it, right? And because it mm. does bring up a translation issue, and mm. Inferno has this kind of uh, pregnant sense to it, whereas Paradiso and Paradise, although to be honest, Paradiso has a, a nicer, deeper resonance. Paradise, I tend to think of like of Jimmy Buffett's. Yeah, exactly. Buffett. Vacation. Yeah. <laughs> something like that, drinks right? Drinks by the beach. And this is not drinks by the beach. Paradiso is the is the theological kind of high water mark for the divine comedy and it's a shame that we don't get to read uh, mo- mo- many people don't get all the way to it i t- i had to read the the comedy parts of the com- comedy in in college grove city college is a protestant college and we read the whole inferno as i think most most people in some western civilizations curriculum would we read good chunks of the purgatorio or chunks of it you could say and then almost nothing from the paradiso almost nothing and I don't know if that's specific to the fact that we were Protestant and mm-hmm. Paradiso has so many saints and kind of the heavy-duty Thomistic theology and Catholic theology of grace like built into it. But it's I it may it may be actually a more normal thing that you just don't you kind of peter out with the comedy. I don't know. You took it. Did you did you get all the way through oh, these gosh, things? Oh gosh, no, no. We stayed. And you in went hell. to a Catholic school. Yeah, right? I went to a Catholic school. Yeah. We stayed. We stayed in hell. There all you we, go. All we got was Inferno. Yeah. And it was up up to us. Oh, you to didn't figure get purgatory in heaven. You know? Oh, we got that as Protestants. Okay. <laughs> but uh, well, well, let's let's situate yeah. ourselves a little bit geographically, sure. right? When we when we think of the comedy. We've got um, we've got hell, which is of course the descent down in in the, cer- the various world. circles mm-hmm. down to down to the lowest place, where Satan is frozen in the center, um, with the, with the great betrayers there in his mouth, an extraordinary, just yeah. just awesome image. And then purgatory is the ascent of the mount. Mount purgatory. Um, mm-hmm. So that, so we we get all the all the beautiful resonances of a journey and the difficulty mm-hmm. of a climb. Yeah, the arduous. Where good. are we in the geography here? What is heaven? So this is interstellar. I mean, Christopher Nolan time, we're out in space. You know, this is the, uh, in the old cosmology, you could say the spheres, the heavenly spheres are the, are, are the, the place uh, past the moon, although the moon shows up in here. Uh, this is the place of, of the gods. Uh, this is the place of, of the things that move, the things on earth. This is the place of the divine. Uh, this is the place of the heavens, as we still use this kind of phrase up in the heavens. Um, this is the place of, for Catholics and the saints, you know, so so we're going out. We're basically taking a journey. Uh, see the mountain as like the tip, and just getting through the stratosphere, and then we're going to wander through the stars, uh, through and the planets. So we're going to see the planets, and then get out to the fixed stars. In this cosmology, you're the fixed stars of the outside, the outer rim. Um, we're going to go to the main planets and meet people along the way, uh, including, of course, the sun is one of the planets here. So um, you know, it's not perfectly. If you're heliocentrist. This is not uh, correct. This is based on a geocentric model. Right. So if you yeah. think heliocentrism is right, just put. You're going to have to just deal with that in the way that like time travel. <laughs> if you think time travel is impossible, right. you're just going to have to put that to the side. Right. Well, unfortunately, you know Dante also didn't think Pluto was a planet, which is sort it's of sad. Not, yeah, could uh, have another yeah. part, another <laughs> so, chapter. Well, you couldn't put another chapter so, in for obvious reasons, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, but so so there's no Pluto either, so so it doesn't it doesn't map on exactly right. Well, you might say actually that he's more modern in this case, since Pluto was demoted on our you know now it's (laughs) this chunk thing. But I think it's back as a dwarf planet to make everyone feel comfortable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
But um, okay, so so we've so we've got this basic structure. Mm-hmm. So we've got them. We've got the moon, Mercury, and Venus. The Earth, um, yep, the, the close planets. You can yeah, say the close ones. Then we get to the sun, and who's on the sun? The sun's pretty cool. The sun is, of course, the theologians and the and and the and the philosophers. Uh, some interesting characters, of course, and not only the ones we'd be familiar with, but some as you some, as C.S. Lewis says about heaven, there will be surprises. <laughs> I I uh, I skipped right over though. I should say in these in the closer planets, those are dedicated in a certain way to. Dante's politics and more the more political spheres they're a little bit closer to earth. You're in a sense and then you get and yeah. then you get kind of moving into theology, right? Yeah, different levels you could think of it as and different levels of of the kind of the good life. So of course in the traditional Aristotelian schema um, there's the political life and then the contemplative life. Of course we have this the active life, the contemplative life and we reach this. And so you're moving from the more active life and the earlier you have the warriors and the politicians and these sort of thing and the kings and, and queens to the more contemplative from the sun onward. Uh, and then after that, we're going to go to the, the the patriarchs, particularly actually the, the, the apostles, you can see the patriarchs right, of the faith. Right. And then the ultimate patriarch, Adam, shows up at some point. But as we go along, it's but exciting. I'm, I'm yeah. catching myself. No, no, no. Too, so, so beyond, beyond the about. sun, it's so exciting. Beyond yeah. the sun, we've got Mars, Jupiter, yeah. and Saturn, right? And on those planets are, uh, you know, the, the people that you're referring to, right? We've got yeah. holy warriors, uh, we've, got, yep. we've got apostles, and you know, the, the, and the, and this whole collection. It's interesting um, that the holy warriors the are the apostles. There, they show up in the fixed stars, so that's a little bit later. Excuse me. But yeah, it's interesting that the holy warriors. You'd think they'd be more the political. They'd show up before the sun, before the theological kind mm-hmm. of the theologians show up. But it seems that, of course, these are these are holy warriors, and also we have like a sense of of martyrdom as in the area here too. So that it's this kind of transition from nature to grace or from active to contemplative. So while there are divisions, necessarily divisions, in how we understand these things, there's also this permeation, which I think is important to see the continuity between nature and grace, faith and reason, that there's a blending here with these things, then we shouldn't be surprised if there's some strange and mixing of these different groups because God has a blending of all these together in his, his right. creatures. Right, and then we have the we have the we have lastly beyond the fixed stars is the Empyrean. The Empyrean, yeah, the, it's a beautiful the, word. The high, the highest he- of heaven, the highest heaven, yeah. the highest heavens, which is a pretty extraordinary place. So it's a beautiful word and and conveys. It's, it's one beautiful. of those words that just yeah. conveys part of what it what it what it, it shows what it says. You know, it's, it's it's a metonym. Yeah, it's really great. Empyrean. Um. So so one of the things that someone might say listening to this. You know, uh, of course, the the comedy is a fiction. It's a profoundly theological one, however. Um, so someone might be grappling right away with us delineating levels in heaven. Mm-hmm. So but, but before we go much further, I think it's helpful to see that Dante understood that, right? Mm. And he puts a character in paradise, in yeah. Paradiso, to help us understand this, that there are different levels in heaven. So uh, maybe if you want to talk to us a little bit about who he meets and how this, yeah. how this conversation So early place. on in the first circle, so again, we've got, you know, we've got these, these levels and circles and Dante is a realist about this. He realized there's divisions in, in all things and that, but the divisions are meant to be overcome and, and journeyed on. And so we have in the first circle, we meet in the, the, the lowest level. These are the saints, but they're in the sense, the lowest saints. You have a, a nun who is made, uh, was meant made to leave the cloister and, and marry, um, uh, against her will, but not, not like forced, you could say, but it was not her, turned out to be not her vocation. It's not like she left and chose to, but rather was, was asked, you know, in, in, in the divine providence. And it's clear that this is divine providence, um, that, that has her do these things. But, um, but 
that she's therefore in this lower level because she partakes of the active life in this way. And Dante asks her, well, um, do you, are you disappointed that, mm. that mm. you can see further, but you're here, so you can see further into the other and you're at the lowest level, are you at all disappointed? And just a beautiful passage, which I, mean, I hope you'll, you'll read for a moment, but she, she smiles and, and gives one of the famous lines within that, that in his will is our peace, in that although I'm not the highest, I'm where I ought to be. This is his will for me, and that is where I will find my ultimate rest. And it doesn't matter, in a sense, where anyone else is, but this is where he wants me and has chosen. There's this deep ordering principle about these levels that we're supposed to get a sense that God is the one who's in charge of the structure of not only the universe and the planets, but also our relation and gradations uh, in, in, t- to him. And this character uh, is per, 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 Perita, as I think her name is, um, Perchita. Um, she, she's a... Dorito. <laughs> Picarda is Picarda. Picarda. So it's like Picard. She's like part of it. So Picarda, she's on this lowest level, but she's perfectly happy and can't understand why Dante... Like, she understands why Dante is asking it, but it's an, a thing that he wouldn't ask if he understood what he was saying. And I, I think you're right. It's absolutely worth reading. So so here here, here are just a few. I'm, yeah. I'll jump around a little bit, but here, here are a few of the great lines. And by the way, for listeners that are wondering... We're using mm-hmm. in this episode Anthony Esselin's translation of the Divine Modern Comic. Library translation, yeah, yeah which exactly. is just just really really a fantastic rendition of, of the verse. So, uh, so so Dante writes, for it is of the essence of this bliss to hold one's dwelling in the divine will, who makes our single wills the same in His, so that although we dwell from sill to sill throughout this kingdom, that is as we please as it delights the king in whose desire we find our own, in his will is our peace. That is the sea whereto all creatures fare, fashioned by nature or the hand of God. This is, so this is such a great line, an important spirit. There's so many spiritual insights in this, but here's one, that you might think that your happiness is dependent upon something in you, that it's about the, you being the most. We talk about virtue and being the most excellent this, but here we get the other side of the coin that actually happiness is a matter of, of being uniting of love. You love is uniting of wills. And so you need to unite to the willer, the lover of all, which is God, such that it she you wouldn't be happy right. and in love in the highest sense if your will didn't conform to his. So if you were higher but it wasn't his will, then that wouldn't be happiness. Right. And Picarda cautions us. She says that if you if you desire a higher place you actually sound a note of disharmony. And this is, of course, uh, the, the traditional will. discussion about why why in the world Satan, who is the highest of angels, Lucifer, could have fallen. And one of the one of the conjectures, at least, is that he wanted something that wasn't his. He wanted to be out of conformity with God's will, in even in a good thing, a higher place, right? But it was not for him. Yeah, it's an extraordinary thing that Tolkien captures so well in the Silmarillion, yes. where, where Melkor, the, uh, the, the evil one, Sings a song that is discordant, that 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 sounds, uh, the sounds notes against the song of creation. Uh, that's right. That's right. It just ca- it captures the spirit so beautifully. Okay, so mo- yes. moving moving on though. Yeah, this early. Paradiso. That's the early. Yeah, we could <laughs> talk about this my, for ages, myself, but we're we'll myself on track. Yeah, that's um, the danger of having the book here. Let's yeah. jump. Let's jump ahead a little bit to the sun. Yeah. Um, so who's the first? Who's the first character we encounter on the sun? Well, I think it's going to be Thomas Aquinas. Um, uh, I th- well, at least the the ma- first main theologians of the the sun are the theologians 
um, and the doctors of the church, you could yeah. say. And you're going to get... And this was where... So Dante, um, not a Dominican, um, but influenced by, by Thomas Aquinas. This is like Thomas... Some people might say this is Thomism in verse. Uh, and in Paradiso, it really is. Definitely is. Although there's some, <laughs> although there's some different elements to it, but uh, if, you're, if you're attentive carefully. But here you have a beautiful discussion of here the Dominicans and the Franciscans. And you have Thomas Aquinas introducing... So the, also the, the Paradiso... In general, the whole story is about the sharing of the life of faith with others, and you're being guided by some and introduced by others. So every no one's showing up immediately by themselves, but they're being introduced to others. And here we have a beautiful case of Thomas Aquinas introducing Holy Father Francis and telling his story, a Dominican saint telling the story of the Franciscan founder. And then Bonaventure is going to do the do the same thing for Saint Dominic. And so they'll they're gonna tell a cross basically across across each other's orders to show the unity of both the Franciscan charism of Lady Poverty and the Dominican charism of seeking Lady Faith. So there's a beautiful combination there. And so Do- so Thomas introduces Francis and and uh, Bonaventure introduces uh, Dominic. And we still this is something that practiced in the in in, the, in our orders today is that on our feast day of Saint Dominic, many of our comments would have a Franciscan come and preach to you. And we have participated in this. On St. Francis Day, we would go out and preach at a Franciscan convent. So we say, stay together on this issue. But there's some beautiful things that they both say about each other that you would not normally catch. Yeah, and, and we'll get to those. So one of the mm. things that you pointed out, though, was where we first meet St. Thomas, because it's so oh, yes. charming, right? Yes, so, go for so it. So we're on the sun, right? And then, and then Dante writes this. Then stopped, as ladies pausing in their glee hold the reels places and resume the dance when they catch the returning melody began one dancer yes okay and then then you read on a little bit further and he describes himself this way i was a lamb among the holy flock dominic leads to pasture by his rule where you can fatten well if you don't rove my brother and my master was the soul nearest my right great albert of cologne and thomas of aquino was my name yeah it's a beautiful image because thomas was known for being a rather um what should we say? A man of a man of gravity, uh, a weighty man and, of theological and otherwise. Right. Yeah. Thoughtful lo- corpulence. Yeah. Yes. A lot. Exactly. Yeah. A, a, lar- a larger think, man. Yeah. And yet here he's a dancer, uh, and you get the sense that there's motion uh, in in the stars. These are not like even the planets. We get a sense of them being moving a little bit too. But there's this rhythm and this dance there, and that everyone is involved in this motion. And dancing has, if anyone's done dance, one of the disappointing parts about being a Dominican is I don't get to ballroom dance anymore, um, is that it, it's hard to keep out the joy involved in a, in a dance. There's something about, there's something really jubilant about it, you know, almost a Gaudete experience, you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, here's, here's this giant Dominican, or large Dominican, um, dancing. You know, to see to see that that's a beautiful image of what the life of heaven is to be. And what should we take away from uh, Thomas's description of Francis? Well, he has so he the fact that he knows him so well um, as as a Dominican, even though he's not his own son. But the the emphasis again on Lady Poverty, uh, and then chastising. So in each case, Thomas then chastises his own brothers for not following um, their their father, but also Francis's witness too. There's this like sharing of the charism in this way, uh, which is which is quite quite nice. Which is quite nice. so he's he's, spo- he's speaking in a sense off. Off key, mm-hmm. you would think, but actually, it's right on for him. Right, and one of the one of the great uh, one of the great notes of the tradition that he sounds right is where he, where he refers to Francis as the seraphic father. 
That's right. Um, and and uh, and I love this as opposed to Dominic, who who Bonaventure will later call the cherubic, cherubic. father. Um, and I think that I think that it's remarkable to see how to see how the saints are kind of aligned in a way with the choirs of angels. Yes, and and, sh- and shown therefore. Uh, their special charisms, or, or their charisms are revealed in a way by the the an- yeah. angelic hierarchy that they're that's right assigned in. Of course, the seraphs are the higher, the highest of the thing. They of are the angels. Yeah. So they yeah. are. no, we we admit it humbly. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, okay, but then move, moving on to uh, moving on to Saint Bonaventure's description of Dominic. Then. Yeah, delightful. Um, two things about this: one about Dominic, and one about uh, Thomas. The thing about uh, Dominic is that he's he describes him as an amorous. Uh, an, Amorous, uh, amorous servant. Amorous servant. So yeah. you generally think of of Francis as the amorous, the loving one, and Dominic as being a more of an intellectual man. You could say the Dominican charism, but here we have this again cross fertilization or cross. We have uh, amorous servant in that he's a servant of Lady Faith, but he's a lover of of faith. So it's knowledge and love, it's knowing and loving together, not Dominicans versus Franciscans, knowers versus lovers, but knowers and lovers together. Mm. That both of these are necessary. Faith and reason, knowledge and love, God and man, all of these are put together in this. So it's, that's a beautiful image. The second one is there's a thing that might not be caught by most people, but Esalen brings it out. Um, when Bonamench is referring to his, his, co- his, his compatriot, Thomas Aquinas, he uses a diminutive form, a toma. So he calls uh, him like Tom. So he has this nice little like what you know what Tom was saying over there. So it has a strikes this really nice detailed note of the 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 kind of fr- the friendship of the saints here. So even though they're they're they care about God and it's His will, they find their peace. They're they're with each other and they're friends with each other. I think that that so the, the earthly friendships have some resonance still and maintain in heaven. Yeah, that's grand. Okay, so let's move on a little bit more. And again, we, we we don't have time to hit hit every hit hit every hit every level here, every circle. But um, let's get up to the fixed stars where we meet where we meet the apostles and Adam. Uh, what 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 echoes from these candles yeah. in your mind? This is interesting. I think today um, there's a tendency to think of the apostles as kind of dumb fishermen, as the always getting it wrong and kind of play them down. And there's this emphasis on I think it's a Protestant emphasis in general on. Uh, if these men could be chosen disciples of him, then anyone could. That it's, mm. you know, bef- but by the grace of God go I. This kind of lowering of human nature in the face of grace and, and Jesus, so that it's all about him, this kind of monogenerous. There's a sense in which, you know, it's Bap- John Baptist, I must decrease, so he must increase right, kind of thing. I right. think we, and even that's infected, I think, some Catholic sensibilities, but we have this view, at least I, I, I would have this, that the apostles are kind of bumbling idiots until Peter confesses, but the minute after Peter confesses, he goes back on it. So this is the story we're always saying about these guys. But in the life of the church, uh, the apostles are the pillars. Right. They're the ones who replace, they're the 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 foundation stones of the church of the ecclesia. So they're the patriarchs of the 12 tribes. These are not silly, dumb men. These are men who were in the face of extreme persecution and everything else steadfast and that they were leaders. So they're higher up in dignity and rank uh, and they are themselves capable of it. So it's not like, oh, well, they're the apostles. They happen to see Jesus. So you know, Peter and James and John get to be in the special places up there. Um, but obviously, otherwise, they wouldn't deserve to be. No, they're actually fitted for it because they were so close to mm. him. And it's a different view of the apostles uh, that we get. But it's the Catholic view because even in our 
liturgical structures, the apostles have highest rank in our in our feasts. This sort of thing. So they they have a, they have the higher days, and the liturgical things get ramped up a bit for them because they are the the pillars. So you see this here with with, with Dante putting the apostles here in the in in the fixed stars, really close to the Empyrean. Uh, as as outpassing, surpassing even Fa- mm. Holy Father Dominic and, and Holy Father Francis. And then once we get into the Empyrean, it's very interesting because there's a bit of a shift for the guide, uh, which I think is worth noting, right? Oh, um, sure. Who's, who's accompanying Dante at this point? And yeah. Then, and then how, how does how does the Empyrean work and who's in the Empyrean, if you can kind of lay that out a little well, bit? Well, I can try. Uh, so, the, so we've had some guides again. So most of the time we were with Virgil through the first two of these things, but in Canto, I think it's 30 in the, per, in the Purgatorio, uh, Virgil leaves, uh, and Dante is sad and is told by Beatrice, who is his who is his love and uh, uh, the this, his guide for for the Paradiso, um, not to cry and not to be sad. Um, that in a sense Virgil has his place and that's his place to be. And the, I'm sure we've talked about this in the other episodes. But um, in for Paradiso, we're going until near the end of the Empyrean uh, with Beatrice, and she's the guide, and it looks like she's going to take us all the way there. Um, but at this point, uh, in the in the Empyrean, she disappears just like Virgil does, um, and Dante turns to look at. He's getting to, ready to see this vision. He's blown away by this, uh, and so he turns to find her, and he sees not this beautiful lady who's been traveling with him and his love, but rather an old man. It's very striking the difference between these, the contrast here, and it's Bernard, Saint Bernard of Clairvaux, uh, the mellifluous doctor. So the, the the one who sang of Our Lady's praises. So of course he's going to be the closest to the Empyrean. But I'd like the, the distinction, and but this time Dante is ready for this change in a way that wasn't for Virgil. Even the Purgatory, he mm. still had attachments, and here he's not as worried about the the change. It seems makes it quicker because he's been purified more right. clearly. And finally, um, his romantic attachments have finally been, in a sense, dropped away. Right. So even the Paradiso is still this kind of romantic attachment, you could say. But he, by the time he's going to get the Empyrean, his true lover is going to appear, and he's ready for Bernard and Our Lady, uh, Blessed Virgin Mary the Rose, and then finally, of course, the Vision of the Trinity. Right. So as we as we wrap up in our, in mm-hmm. our final minutes here, I, I, want, I think it's worth saying a few things about about the Empyrean because it's yeah. just so stunning. Take it away. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll give my favorite and then and then you can bring us home here. So I think one thing that's so extraordinary about the Empyrean and, and worth our listeners' meditation is Dante's description when he begins to see the Trinity uh, because mm-hmm. that that is so amazing. So, uh, so jumping in here, within that brilliant and profoundest being of the deep light, three rings appeared to me, three colors and one measure in their gleaming. As rainbow begets rainbow in the sky, so were the first two, and the third a flame, that from both rainbows breathed forth equally. And so, what's so remarkable about this is that he's that he's looking at the three. He's they look as if they're one. They're kind of three. You've got the rainbows coming from, and you've you've got it. You've got an equality of the persons here, and God. And I just think it's such a moving description of the Trinity. And part of what is so stunning about it is that is that the rings. Um, that the that the rings are there and there's a dynamism to them. You have the, you have the rainbows breathing mm-hmm. breathing forth. There's a movement here. Yeah. And I, I think that's one thing that's so extraordinary about uh, Paradiso is that throughout Dante is just constantly pointing to heaven as a dynamic place as mm-hmm. opposed to a static place. Yes. And I think that's one of the that's one of the worst heresies we Christians can have about heaven is that it's a static place and not not a living place. Yeah. 
Uh, that's I mean, and that's you get the sense, and you're gonna have to read the last line to take it home at the very end. But I'll just build up to it. Mm. Um, is that we we have this idea that heaven, even in our talk about the beatific vision, that it's something that you sit and look at, and what could be interesting in that, and it seems like a strange. At the end of the day, you just need your brains and your eyes, and even then, you can't really see. So you just need some <laughs> sort of like intellect, mm. and and Dante does a great job of making clear that it's it's not a static vision. We've seen the dancers, even large saints can dance. We've seen this moving back and forth. Uh, we've had we've had love here, and we're going to find something that we're totally attracted to, such that vision and love, knowledge and love, vision and desire, blending together, they only look like they were separate and mutually exclusive to us outside of this final vision experience of heaven, and yet they all meet here for this one moment that he has just for a second, kind of just a glimpse and then drops back to where he is. But the idea that, that not to worry about any boring vision or just looking at something and seeing the perfect shape of the Trinity. No, it's it's a looking in love and a desire. And so so uh, as we get uh, as we get to that last moment, Dante writes, "Here cease the powers of my high fantasy. Already were all my will and my desires turned as a wheel in equal balance by the love that moves the sun and all the other stars." Yeah, so not so love that moves the sun and the other stars and all the things underneath it, of course, but a, a movement not by some scientific precision, uh, like a, a, phys- a physicist who's in charge of equations and all of this, but a love that moves these things, a desire, a longing, a relationship. That's, that's beautiful. I think part of when we, we, we skipped over it as we were lamenting people Oh, people don't read about paradise, and you know it was kind of a sorrow because yeah. the the idea of heaven is just a beautiful thing. But but the point is that um, the basic Thomistic principle is that the end, the goal, is first in the uh, first in the mind. It has to be forged, so that it has to be set, so that execution can follow. Right? Yep. Um, the goal has to be established. The intention has to be clear. The w- the will has to be directed towards something. And Dante's vision of heaven is enough to animate us uh, it to, is. To, pers- to pursue this dynamic life, to want to be numbered among the saints who call each other these friendly names, who are part of the dance, um, to have the satisfaction of even uh, of one who lives even in the lowest levels of heaven and is completely satisfied with it. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that builds up something innocent, and it's extraordinary. There's something when people would ask, like, what, what's heaven like? We just don't have a lot of information from the scriptures. And so one answer might be, well, it's like Disney World, but better. Um, so that's one, but the really, the best answer I come up with is, I don't know, read the Paradiso. It's, it's not what heaven is, but it's only because it'll fall short of that. And whatever falls short of, whatever outstrips this vision, yes, please. (laughs) That's right. It may build up that joy, that longing for that final day when we'll, when we will have the vision that that Dante writes. Please God and perseverance. um, Yeah. When, when, when we'll possess it as our own. Uh, well, that is a great note to end a God's planning episode on. Uh, I will. Thank you all for tuning into this episode, and thanks to our listeners who support us. If you'd like to tie to our project, uh, you can check out information on our Patreon page to become a God's planning benefactor. That info can be found in the show notes there uh, or on our website. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. You can also follow links in the show notes to purchase God's planning merch or find out our upcoming events. We've got a few things planned um, that are going to be great for 2024, so check those out. In the meantime, 
know of our prayers for you, and please pray for us. God bless.